Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit hrgazette.com, subscribe and follow us on social media. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this episode, we're going to delve into what constitutes robust AI management, how we can be more ethical with our use of AI-powered recruitment tech. And we're going to ask, is it enough to audit recruitment algorithms for bias? My guest today is Emre Kazem, co-founder over at Holistic AI, a company helping businesses to adopt and scale AI with confidence. Holistic AI is focused on providing a platform as a service solution to orgs that want to harness AI ethically and safely. It services many large and medium-sized organizations on their journey of adopting AI, ensuring due risk management and compliance with a changing regulatory and standards environment. One of their key services to help is to help HR deal with New York City bias audit legislation that is taking force in January of next year, in January 2023. And, uh, and we're going to talk a bit about that amongst many other topics today. Emra, welcome to the HR Chat Show. Thanks, Bill. Uh, real pleasure to be here. So beyond my wee introduction there, why don't you start by taking a minute or so and uh, telling our listeners a bit more about yourself. You've got a very impressive academic background and what you guys are doing over at Holistic AI is, is uh, a little bit above me in places, that for sure. Um, and it's super important. And you guys have got a great mission, which we'll get into in a bit. But for now, just start by telling the listeners a bit about you, your academic and career background. Thanks, uh, thanks, Bill. So um, just a kind of, I, I'm also new to, to AI, if you will. Oh, I also came new to AI. So as an undergraduate, I studied chemistry at UCL. Um, and then I actually went and did a postgraduate in chemical physics. Uh, it was actually part of a PhD program, but um, I decided pretty early on that actually I wasn't that interested in that. And then I left um, the sciences um, and I did a master's in philosophy. So I did my master's in, in, in general philosophy. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and then that went well, and I ended up doing my PhD and actually completed my PhD in philosophy. And I did it in the philosophy of ethics, and more specifically in the philosophy of uh, Immanuel Kant. So I was interested in questions of conscience. So how how when you feel guilty or when you feel um, when you when you when you evaluate your own moral judgments, that's why I did my PhD. In. So it was about moral morality, uh, ethics, and moral judgment. So after completing that, I left the university uh, and I was working. I was just working and I wasn't working in anything to do with my academic research. I was actually went into industry, into business. And um, while I was there, I was just really fascinated and interested in new digital technologies. So that's AI, uh, blockchain, and, and generally, you know, um, how these new digital technologies were just emerging and being ubiquitously adopted. So... That interest just roused me to, to write an article about how these new digital technologies are causing us to have to reevaluate the social contract. And, and I self-published that article. And then that article got picked up by a, uh, a mathematician at UCL, Computer Science Department. And, um, and she said, hey, look, we're working on the ethics of digital technologies. Uh, we're engineers. Uh, but we really do need non-engineers who are 
interested in this space to be able to come along and ask us and probe us and for us to engage on the ethics of these questions. So I ended up working in the computer science department of UCL with the engineers who were actually building these technologies and looking at the ethics, um, the governance um, and the, the kind of laws and the, or the impending laws around this space. So that's where I met Adriano Koshiyama, the co-founder of Holistic AI. And it was, you know, within that kind of context that we started to do this experimental work on AI ethics and AI governance and just trying to find different ways in which to, to solve the problem of, of creating trust in these kind of systems. And it was in that ecosystem that we worked and formed a friendship. And then off the back of that, we, we spun the company out in 2020 and, um, and, you know, haven't looked back since. That's an awesome story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. You've got you've got a, a really unique and uh, powerful background, which um, is a perfect fit for what you guys do. So you just hinted there a little bit about the mission of Holistic AI. Um, maybe you can talk now in a bit more detail, if you don't mind, Emra, about the idea of trustworthiness in context. Uh, that's a direct quote I got from you from a, a video I saw with you on, on YouTube earlier today um, and also different levels of assurance based on the particular industry and, and why that matters. Yeah so so I think Bill the, the really the, the core thing is about asking the question about trust and what do we mean by trustworthiness. So so the first question is trusted by whom? So it's very different to say I want to establish trust amongst engineers or I want to establish trust in a broader public sense, or I want to establish trust in a uh, in the C-suite with respect to these systems, and so on and so forth, or I want to establish trust with respect to regulators. So the umbrella overall in terms of the trust in algorithmic systems is when you break it down, a very complicated kind of psych- psychological, sociological, and then in, in some sense, uh, as kind of peripheral side, legal question. And what we're interested in at the core, if you will, the the, the real central problem that we're trying to solve as a company is how do we have meaningful technical assessment of algorithms, but with a view to communicating that to non-technical audiences. So that would be people like the C-suite, customers, regulators, the non-engineers, such as myself and yourself. So that's really at the core of that. And the reason why that's important is because if we get that right, if we solve that problem, then really we can harness all the benefits that algorithms um, that algorithms can, can have on society and science and services and everything, everything else. So to give you an analogy, um, you know, most of us have been on a plane, but, but I would I'd, I'd guess that a very tiny, tiny group of people actually understand the... Um, all the various kind of certifications and assurances that go into the aeronautical industry. So we all trust that these systems or these governance procedures in aeronautical industry is, is robust, uh, is very strong, is updated, is trustworthy, even though we don't know about them uh, in detail in terms of the actual average user, such as myself or yourself. Algorithms are, if you will, we're at that point before that trust has been established because it's a new space. Um, It's really, it's still having impact. People are still seeing high profile cases of harm. 
So we're really in that early phase, that phase where we're trying to say, look, can we really build? Can we really establish processes? Can we can we put into to, to place everything that's necessary for people to be confident in the deployment of algorithms and the, the, and and if you will, the mitigation of harms that those algorithms might have or prevention of those harms that those algorithms might have when they're deployed. So that's really at the core of what we're doing as a business. Uh, we're enabling companies to adopt and innovate uh, and to do that responsibly. So to give some kind of um, examples, let's say a lot of the, the, probably the most important example is the use of, of algorithms in the HR process. And so probably the most high profile cases are those that are used in recruitment. So, you know, when people are just applying for jobs, that could be by doing a uploading a CV or, or answering some questions or doing some other task. And then an algorithm might do an assessment and decide to move that candidate forward or actually, um, you know, reject the candidate's application. You know, it's super important. It's paramount. It's of ethical uh, importance for us to ensure that that has been that that's done in a, in a defendable way, in a, in a really robust kind of way, in a fair way. So that's really at the core in terms of that use case. But you can imagine the use of algorithms, for example, in credit scoring, when you you know apply for a loan and then you get rejected. Uh, people want to know that the rejection has happened for a reasonable reason. That could be, for example, because you're somebody with a poor credit history. It shouldn't be because um, you're female or it shouldn't be because you lack a, let's say, Anglo-Saxon name or something like that. So really... What we're looking at when we say trust in context, we're talking about who we're interested, who are we trying to establish trust with? So it's important who the end point of that trust uh, relationship is with. And secondly, that it's about where it's being used. So trust in the use of algorithms in a medical context is very different to trust in the use of algorithms, let's say, in recruitment. This is why I do this show, listeners. I say it all the time. I, that's because I get to sit here, listen and learn. Okay, so you're fighting the good fight, and uh, there's there are there are fights to be had, there are conversations to be had, certainly um, all over the place at the moment. So, for example, New York City passed legislation that goes into effect on Jan one of 2023, mandating bias audits of automated employment decision tools. Meanwhile, California has proposed amendments to existing legislation and introduced new legislation to regulate the use of AI in the workplace. What is what is the New York City local law 144 bias audit mandate? Tell us a bit about that and why it's important. Yeah, so I think this is just such an interesting and pioneering uh, piece of legislation because to the best of my knowledge, it, it, well, it, I don't think it was the first, but it's certainly the most high profile and, and it's ostensibly, I, in, in terms of how we're actually receiving it, it's really the first major intervention in terms of AI regulation. And it's taken... Uh, it's garnered a lot of attention and lots of people have been um, looking at it from from outside of the New York City context. So really, it's a piece of legislation. I think at the core of it, one of the legislators was describing uh, that it was a transparency legislation. Really, at the core of it is about transparency. It's about uh, obliging or or forcing companies to maximize their transparency in the use of, of algorithms in this context. But more specifically, at the core of it, I think there's basically three parts. The first part is about how does the algorithm work? So that's really about doing an assessment of the performance of the algorithm across different protected characteristics or different demographics. So how is the system working, let's say, with respect to gender? Or how is the system working with respect to, to race and so on and so forth? 
Um, and the second part about the legislation, I think the second core part about it, is actually publicizing the results. So a summary of the results are, should be published. And I think that, again, both of these two parts are really pushing forward that kind of core um, uh, uh, principle, which is the one of, of transparency. And the third part is about, the, if you were communicating that, so beyond public, publishing a summary of the results, communicating it and, and allowing uh, people to exempt themselves from such uh, processing. So, you know, at the heart of it, it really is place, putting maximum transparency and giving maximum agency to people in this process. So it's a, it's a really important, it's a very um, positive move by the legislators. And it's really exciting to see how this has really focused the attention in, uh, in New York and more broadly on, on bias in the use of algorithms in HR systems. What other upcoming legislation is perhaps going to affect HR tech and recruitment tech over the next six to 12 months? And any others that you want to, you want to highlight that people should be aware of? I think we should really, I think what we will probably see is other states in the US adopt a similar legislation to the New York City one. So that's the first thing. Look out for other states taking similar moves. You mentioned the new, you mentioned a rather Californian uh, legislation which is super important in this sense. But I think the big legislation that people should be looking out for is the EU AI Act. So the EU AI Act is the equivalent of the, the GDPR legislation that was passed with respect to privacy or data governance. So it really is a big piece of legislation being passed by the EU and it will have you know, global ramifications. And um, without, let's say, going into a whole discussion about that legislation, it, the EU AI Act takes a risk-based approach to, um, to algorithms. So it has a classification of some systems which should be completely banned, some systems which are high risk, some systems which are medium uh, risk, and some other systems which are low risk. So employment, the use of algorithms in employment is listed as one of the high risk systems. So really, you know, there's going to be lots of focus on that. It's going to be pretty clear, pretty explicit that anybody who wants to develop or deploy algorithms in employment contexts are going to have to be compliant to that. That's really the one. You should see the, um, you know, the New York City legislation really as a kind of, of, a, of, of really a, a very small, you know, beginning of a much bigger wave that, that really will be the EU AI Act. It's the, it should be passing next year. And, um, you know, at the latest that we pass before the European elections, which is in the spring of 24. Uh, and, you know, companies really should be getting aware of that. That's going to be huge. Okay. So what do, what do companies need to do to, to future-proof ahead of the EU AI Act? And um, what are your predictions in terms of some of the, some of the um, uh, I don't want to use the word cowboys, geez, uh, some of the companies <laughs> out there who um, perhaps don't follow as stringent policies as others uh how how could they be impacted you know on the vendor side um but by the eu ai act so, so the, the, all i would say to companies is just get just start to get ready so be aware of the legislation so there's lots of there's lots of publications in this space there's lots of people doing work in this space but really um if you're a good actor it's funny you should talk about the kind of cowboys but really if you're a good actor you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be too afraid of this legislation. It really is just being able to, to evidence that you've taken the problem of, of bias and explainability seriously. 
and you should be able to provide the relevant documentation and assessments that validate that you've taken it seriously and you've investigated this question and managed that kind of risk. So really it's about getting ahead of the curve, anticipating. Um, it's probably, so what you could, it's a good idea anyway, irrespective of the legislation or prior to the legislation passing, to be aware or to be cognizant of, you know, are the systems that we're using, are they defendable? Are they, are they fair? Are they, are they, are they biased? You know, it's just good practice. It's, eth- it's an ethical imperative to, to be confident that these that you can that you can say, hey, these systems are reasonable, that they work well. So really, I think that for for the industry, it's going to be a very positive thing because it's really going to just set a good standard. We're going to start to be able to be confident and assured that these systems are are trustworthy and safe. And 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 I think yes, I think that's a good point. I don't think it's a snide one actually about um, so let's say cowboys. It's you know, it's isn't it a good thing for for responsible players in the ecosystem to say, hey, it's great that we've got a standard or that we've got regulation that that can at least try and go beyond us claiming that our systems are fair or safe. To say, hey, look, we are actually compliant, and thereby, you know, we've we've met particular kinds of standards. So it's going to be good for the good players um, and and people who are, if you were selling snake oil, then um, then they should be worried, I guess. But um, but for the responsible players in this space, you know, I, I, they can be confident that this is going to be a positive thing for the industry. The really the kind of core, the real core problem, if you will, is that if you want to deploy algorithms in this space, and, and the reason why you would want to do that is because they're more efficient, you can do things at scale, you can do them systematically, and so on and so forth. In order to get companies to be able to do that, in order to, to drive through, if you will, the kind of the use of algorithms, the, the, the central barrier to that is, do they work and are they fair in the context of HR systems? So th- this should be a positive thing, a positive movement in that direction. I introduced this episode today with a, a particular slant on the on the recruit, recruitment side of things, you know, whether that's passing or reference checking or various attraction tools, all the rest of it to do with the candidate experience. But of course, um, it sounds like we're talking a lot about a lot more uh, when it comes to the offerings of different HR tech solutions, right? Uh, we're talking performance, we're talking assessment, we're talking compensation calculations, mm. these sorts of AI audits, it's, it's going to permeate, it's going to, it's going to affect everything, correct? Absolutely, yes. I think that this is really just the beginning. It's about the use of algorithms within uh, any kind of HR process. So a lot of the focus now is on the recruitment side, but as you said, performance assessment, salary assessments, bonuses, and so on and so forth. Uh, monitoring and work, et cetera, et cetera. All of this is going to be liable to to auditing. Changing the subject a little bit, uh, because um, it's something that I enjoy getting involved with and taking part in all the rest of it, is um, uh, getting together with people. Because, you know, hopefully we're through the worst of the pandemic now, and we're finally, and your team hosts a lot of in-person events. Uh, so, for example, I saw some, uh, let's see, how to manage the privacy risks of AI systems, AI fairness and bias, what does it mean for your business, and uh, manage risks, embrace AI. So that's some of the titles mm-hmm. of the, the meetups that you guys have. It's, it's good to see that you're encouraging the community to get back together again. And um, uh, you, you hold it at a pretty good, cool location, I understand. What, why don't you tell me a bit more about those events, why you do them, and what's that community that you're trying to build? We came out of the university, you know, it's collegiate, it's about knowledge sharing, it's about engagement, it's about meeting people, 
and just just getting as much exposure to the different ideas and different perspectives. So it's really at the core of our culture, of our personalities. Um, it's about hosting these events and having these discussions and bringing people from different backgrounds and different stakeholders and different industries to come and talk about the same theme. So I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons why. One reason is, as I said, it's just a cultural reason. You know, we, this is, you know, it really is what we love doing. We enjoy doing that. I think it's super important to be present and to be communicating and have as an, op- an open forum as possible for people to engage in. Uh, a second reason is that, hey, these questions aren't answered. You know, fairness in AI, you know, um, uh, privacy of AI systems. What does that even mean? It's a novel area. So it's still speculative questions. So in order for us to meaningfully assess these systems and move forward with these systems, it will be fantastic for us to actually be able to, to have these different perspectives and maybe see what comes out of it. So actually, it's, it's, it, these questions are genuine rather than rhetorical. Um, like we're interested in these kind of questions. And I think the third thing is actually the community is growing and we're getting to a critical mass where a lot of these kind of things, which were, let's say, things that we pioneered in the academic environment are becoming mainstream in industry and even broader society. Okay. And I think they're also free. So that's another reason to go along, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're all free. Everyone can come. They're hosted at... Uh, a center, a University College London uh, Center for Digital uh, Innovation uh, in in East London. One of the centers is there, and you know, rest assured, I can tell everyone that we're going to be doing lots more events in 2023. They're all going to remain free, and um, you know, please do come come along and, and say hello. Okay, there you go. If uh, if you if you go on in the middle of 2023 and it's suddenly two thousand pounds to attend because you've got, they've got some cool speakers and whatnot, you can say, "Hang on a minute, I want a free ticket, please." You can, you, can, you can contact me directly. Um, I'll, I'll see you. <laughs> okay. Hey, listen, we're we're almost at the end of this conversation, uh, which makes me sad because I'm enjoying it. Um, I've, I've been learning a lot today. Thank you very much. But before we do wrap up, how can our listeners connect with you? So maybe you might want to share your email, maybe your LinkedIn details, maybe you're on Instagram, etc. And also, of course, how can they learn more about all the cool work happening over at Holistic AI? So it's um, I'm I'm quite active on LinkedIn and Twitter. On LinkedIn, you can just it's Emre E M R E Kazim K A Z I M, but you can just find me, co-founder of Holistic AI. I'm also active on Twitter. It's the my my name and then with an underscore. So at my name with underscore, uh, and you know you could just add me and then message me. My email address is my name but with a full stop between my first and my second name at holisticai.com. But really, if you just just stumble upon our website. Um, you'll be able to see all the everything's there, all of our publications, our blogs, our news articles, our open source tools, our use cases. So like it's a quite a vibrant and open uh, space, as you can see, and hopefully it's accessible. But, you know, the easiest way is if you really want to just have a chat, just just pop me over an email or, or reach out to me on one of those forums and I'll, I'll definitely or come along to one of the events. And um, almost certainly I'll find you there and we'll be able to have a great chat. Love it. Lots of ways to get in contact. Okay, well, that just leaves me to say for today, Emra, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity to talk and really excited to engage with as many people as possible. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast. There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media.